As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. We are back. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. And this week, Paul, we are sponsored by Coca-Cola. No. Agua. Or water. But definitely not Heineken, according to Paul Pogba and Cristiano Ronaldo. Devoted listeners of Allocation Disorder, both of those guys, by the way. Their body is a temple, just like our bodies are temples. (laughs) Something like that. Um, we're we're not talking about Miami this week. We're doing a departure from our normal Miami programming. This has become a Miami podcast. We're not going to talk about Miami. We are going to talk about World Cup qualifying. The full schedule is now known for the U.S. in the octagonal. Is it octagonal? Octagonal? The Ocho. The Ocho. The Ocho. Is that what? I mean, I'm cool. Can we just call it the Ocho? Yeah, let's just call it the Ocho. All right. But you got to say it like that. You can't call it like Ocho. It has to be like the Ocho. ESPN 8, the Ocho. Exactly. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Never forget. <laughs> I mean, you know what I always say about CONCACAF, Paul? The greatest thing that's ever happened to the sport? If you can dodge a wrench, then you can qualify for the World Cup. Um, we'll see if the U.S. learned how to do that in the last four years. Quite a few wrenches upcoming for the USMNT in the next few months. That's exactly right. And we'll, so we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll look, we'll look ahead to the schedule. We'll look ahead to some of the matchups. We'll look ahead to kind of where some of these games might be played. I think that's going to be an interesting discussion considering how tight these windows are and how many games are being squeezed in. 
We'll look ahead to the Gold Cup, which is rapidly approaching, just about three weeks away from the, the start of the proper group stage, less than that for the preliminary rounds. Um, so we'll talk U.S. roster predictions, projections, and then we'll look ahead for the MLS secondary transfer window, which opens right around the same time as the start of the Gold Cup, July 7th, and kind of have some expectations. We'll preview that a little bit, lay out some talk. But let's start... Let's start with the World Cup qualifying. Let's start with the Ocho. Uh, last night, we were, we were recording a day early this week, recording on Wednesday. On Tuesday night, the, the field was set. El Salvador, Canada, and Panama became the final three teams to qualify, joining the U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Jamaica, and Honduras, who, who were automatically in based on FIFA rankings. And we know the U.S. now, the first game of the Ocho will be September 2nd. At El Salvador, that will be a three-game window in September, the first of several three-game windows. Um, so September, we've got at El Salvador on the second, home against Canada on the fifth, at Honduras on the eighth. That's a tough one. A lot of travel in that little window. Uh, October window, you've got home against Jamaica on October 7th, at Panama on October 10th, home against Paul's, Paul's boys, Costa Rica, Los Ticos. Pura on vida. the 13th. <laughs> pura Vida, yeah. Pura Agua, Pura Vida. <laughs> and then into November, only a two-game window in November, uh, home to Mexico and at Jamaica on the 12th and the 16th. Then we get into January. We can, we can talk about that a little bit later. January, February window and a March window um, to round out qualifying. So the top three teams, for those of you who, who can't quite remember, automatically advance to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. The fourth place team will qualify for an intercontinental playoff. I don't think the other continent has been determined just yet. I don't think that it's, has been. It's either correct. Oceania or South America. One, it'll be one of the two. So you, you're really strongly hoping, if you're that fourth place team, that it's Oceania and you don't have to play one of those South American countries that finishes fifth in Conmebol. Um, and instead you get New Zealand, most likely. Uh, so yeah, that'll be a big difference. Um, but yeah, Paul, walk us through your thoughts on, on the field. Any surprises, any teams you thought might get in that didn't end up getting in and thoughts on the schedule and just kind of how difficult it's going to be to navigate these these games intermixed in the club season where you're playing three times all around the continent in the space of a week. I think for me, the one big surprise that stands out, well, I guess there's two technically. The first is that Trinidad and, Tob uh, and Tobago don't come out of uh, the preliminary rounds of qualification. Obviously, we've known that for a while now, but I think, you know, they are traditionally one of the stronger teams in CONCACAF and they and, and El Salvador takes their place essentially. They they lose St. Kitts and Nevis goes through to this qualification round. El Salvador handles them quite easily, six nothing on aggregate, and and they go through. So El Salvador is certainly to me the surprise team to come out of this stage. Um, but then the other side for me, I really thought Curacao was going to be in this final round of qualification. And I think actually they're, they were going to be quite a difficult opponent for the U.S. to face. Um, they play good soccer. A lot of the players on that Curacao team play in the Netherlands in the Eredivisie. Um, they play a very Dutch style of soccer. Um, and I actually, I, I wonder if you go back to the coaching change that the Curacao Federation made. Um, you know, they, they brought in, um, who, Goose Hiddink. And, and made the change there for a team that had been incredibly successful, considering their history. Uh, I thought it was kind of an unnecessary change. And then Gusidic goes out with COVID, right? It was it was travel restrictions? 
and they end up make not making it through to the next round. So um, barely, barely not making it. Right, they lost two one on aggregate after a zero zero draw in the second leg, which was at home for Curacao. So yeah, so I mean, I think Panama and El Salvador being here, both of them being here, is is a surprise to me. And you know what that means, Sam? That means just one trip to the Caribbean for the USMNT in qualifying. A lot more uh, flights to Central America. Yeah. Um, less beach time for Paul and maybe Sam. So cry a tear for us, listeners. <laughs> Send us some pina coladas. <laughs> um, you didn't mention the other team that qualified on Tuesday night, and that is Canada. They took care of Haiti 4-0 on aggregate, relative ease. Uh, Paul, Canada's kind of good, man. They're going to be feisty. That attack, uh, I think I would pick it over the American attack. Yeah, I mean, I, I I watched that game against Haiti last night. Obviously, very dangerous up front. You know, they have two big, um, strong, and and um, I think very very smart strikers who position wise in the box find find themselves in dangerous places all the time. Kyle Laren, um, I think his movement has gotten a lot better. Both his ability to run in behind. Actually, I saw him playing, checking back, and, and actually playing with his back to goal a lot more than than he did in MLS. But his ability in the box is still very, very good. And Jonathan David just has an incredible knack to put himself to to find the dangerous spaces. Like he'll he'll create two to three chances a game in kind of a chicharito style where his movement in the box opens things up. And and in fact, that's that's where you see most of the danger coming for Canada. It's up the left side with Alfonso Davies and him finding Jonathan David, um, Jonathan David on crosses into the box, um, usually on the ground to, to David's feet. And, you know, I thought he could have had a couple goals in the first half, if not for the stellar play of the Haitian goalkeeper, who unfortunately had, you know, the moment of the game where, where it was mo- the most incredible own goal I've ever witnessed. Um, but you know, certainly they're, they're very good in the attack. I do think though, there are some questions about this Canadian team still that, that are need to be addressed. I think their back line isn't great. I thought they were completely unbalanced yesterday. Everything, everything they did ran through the left side of the field. And so, you know, if you're the U S and you're playing with Serginio Dest on that right side, you know, hopefully your, your goal would be to try to counter, um, what Alfonso Davies does up the left by by forcing him to defend occasionally with with Dest pushing forward, um, and then and really I think a big problem for them is what what are they going to do on that right side? I was I was kind of surprised they they started Alistair Johnson, Richie Larea stayed on the bench. They have options there, but you know I do think there are some questions still. Um, Sam, what do you think? I mean, when I look at this schedule uh, the, at the start of World Cup qualifying, I look at that first window as probably close to the best you can get for an opening window you know obviously you're on the road twice which isn't ideal this team has never most of the guys on this world cup roster have never gone to central america for a Concacaf qualifier they're going to get a real introduction at el salvador and at honduras but i think this is a window where you can get points and they need to start off in my opinion they need at least minimum four points but they should be thinking about this as a six point window as potentially a six point window and and at you know i think that's the minimum paul i think that's the that, bar, that should right? be the that's minimum the standard yeah like i think you you you're probably looking for seven even nine uh you mentioned kind of being tested in el salvador and, and in honduras i think there are questions about what the crowds are going to be like 
given the state of COVID in those countries. And that's something that actually I think will be a real advantage for the U.S. because the Americans are going to have full stadiums by the fall, assuming, you know, something crazy and unforeseen doesn't happen here. Um, and I don't, and I don't think that will be the case in all the countries around CONCACAF. And so to knock out two of the Central American road games early when they might not be at full capacity, that could be a pretty significant competitive edge. Um, and, and, and if you're playing in front of an empty stadium in, in Honduras and El Salvador, then the expectation needs to be three points. Yeah, I would agree right? with that. And, but I do think, I, you know, I do want to mention, you know, part of this, part of the trips to CONCACAF go beyond the, the hostile crowds. You know, there. You know, you're going to have people outside of your hotel room. Um, sure. You know, you're going to have fields that aren't. I mean, I think the Honduran field probably will be up to snuff. I haven't seen the field in San Salvador recently. I'm guessing it'll probably be turf. Um, I have to look into that. But either way, I, you're 100 percent right. It shouldn't be turf for a qualifier. I don't think that's allowed. Is they've, it? They've played in turf before in qualifiers hmm. for sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I you know. Again, it's just a matter of some of this is about venue, right? As much as about crowd. But it's a great point. If you're knocking out two trips to Central America in the first window against two opponents that you should beat on a neutral field, well, without a crowd, it kind of turns it into a neutral field, right? So, you know, that that is certainly an advantage. And I think also home against Canada early on, you know, that is a, a really good opportunity as well. I mean, Canada... You saw what happened when the U.S. played them after a loss in Canada. They came back down to Orlando and 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 beat them quite handily. Uh, I believe it was four nothing at home. Um, Maybe four three one. No- Canada three might have had a goal. Yeah, um, but I, you know that's a game that again. You know you want to be able to assert yourself, and and you're going to be at home. People are going to be excited. You're going to have a. You should have a, a very pro U.S. crowd in that game. Um, I just think it's an ideal opening considering the gauntlet. Because look, Sam, I mean, September 2nd, 5th, 8th, October 7th, 10th, 13th, that is just a grind, man. And you're flying back and forth from Europe with games on either sides of those starts and finishes. It's There's going to be a, a, a real roster churn. I, I feel like you have to be ready for a lot of rotation from for injuries that are going to occur you know, so I, I just think that, you know, that first window is so, 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 so critical. Yeah, it sets the tone, right? And we've seen it in the past where it sets the tone in a, a negative way, right? I, the last cycle, was it the was it the first window with the Mexico and Costa Rica games? Yep. Um, both losses for the U.S. Um, and th- that's a really hard way to start qualifying. Uh, but you saw what happened from there. Jurgen got fired. And the team never really fully recovered. You know, I was looking at the standings from that cycle this morning. The U.S. got 12 points from 10 matches in the hex last time around. That's really, really bad. Like, that's, like, really, really bad. And and I know, like, Panama, it was, like, a crowning achievement for them to go to the World Cup. They went to the World Cup, and they were one of, like, the worst teams in World Cup history. <laughs> this wasn't, like, some huge loaded squad that they came up against. And... I, I kind of want to spend some time talking about that. CONCACAF is difficult. I'm not trying to minimize it and say that it's not, because it is. But the U.S. shouldn't have that much trouble in qualifying. Straight up. They should not. They should win basically all of their home games. Maybe Mexico gives you some trouble at home, right? Like, that's that would be legitimate. But 
on on talent based on the roster, all of this stuff. I mean, we learned last time that you can't take anything for granted, and I'm not saying you can, and I'm not saying these games won't be difficult in their own ways, especially the ones on the road. But the U.S. should not have a hard time with qualifying. And I think it's important to hold them to that standard throughout because sometimes I think we get trapped in in soccer media in this little like, oh, CONCACAF is crazy. Like, you know, it's really difficult. And like, you don't see this stuff elsewhere in the world. And like, a lot of that has some truth to it. But at the end of the day, the players on the field are the players on the field. And the U.S. has better players than every single team, I think significantly top to bottom, except for Mexico. and. I think qualifying should reflect that and it shouldn't just be, Oh, get in by the skin of your teeth. No, it should be getting pretty comfortably in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, we should remember of course that the U S beat Panama for nothing before they went down to Trinidad and, and couldn't get a win at Trinidad. And I think what really lost, couldn't get a draw. Couldn't, sorry. Couldn't get a draw. If they had gotten a draw, they would have gotten into the playoff. So I think, you know, that that game against Panama was pretty indicative. We knew that that Panama team wasn't great, and um, you know they ended up beating Costa Rica at home on a goal that didn't happen. Right, Panama that never crossed the line. Um, but I think I think if you look back at qualification, you know things really flipped on two results. You can't both lose at home to Mexico and um, at home to Costa Rica. You can't you can't yeah. lose both of those games. You have to at least get a result in one of those two games. Or if you do, which is what happened in the last round, you have to pick up every single point on the road. And that's where that Trinidad game became so big. But they also drew on the road in that qualification cycle. 1-1 at Honduras, uh, which was not typically isn't an awful result but when you loot when you drop those results at home, it becomes yeah. a lot worse, right? Got to draw they drew at 1-1 in Panama. You know, that was, you know, again, you know, that, you know, these typically would be, okay, those are good results. But when you're dropping results at home, um, you can't, you need to go get those three points somewhere else. And and so I, I don't disagree that the expectations should certainly be for the U.S. to get out of CONCACAF. And that, that was the norm. You know, that's been the norm since 1990. Yeah, I just, I just don't want there to be like this resetting of like, no. hey, like if they, no, they should be challenging for the top spot with yes, Mexico and they should be sure. in a neck and neck race. And the other thing about this, Paul, with the Ocho instead of the Hex, it's more forgiving, right? Like every individual result, right? It's a little bit less magnified because there are more games, right? So there's more time to, there's more time to make up ground that you might lose. Um, and, and the opposition might not be quite as good when it, you're talking about the eighth team versus talking about the sixth team, right? So every result, you just have a little bit more wiggle room. Um, and I think that sort of lends to what I'm saying, which is that the U.S. should get through and should get through comfortably. Yeah, I, I just think in general, the, the biggest challenge of this World Cup qualifying cycle is just going to be the way the windows break down. And Sam, I think we need to go into this in, in a couple different ways. First of all, you're talking about three games in six days, essentially. and that means that depth is going to matter more than ever. Um, so we're going to see a lot of squad rotation. We're going to see a real premium put on that second tier of players for the U.S. And we saw that um, we saw some positives of that in the Nations League window. I think guys like Brendan Aronson become much more important. Um, you know, at right back, you probably feel pretty good. You've got Yedlin, you've got Cannon, you've got Dest, you've got a lot of options. But then there are other positions where you start to get a little bit more worried, right? Center back, 
you start to get a little bit more worried. Yeah. Uh, at the number nine spot, we know that you're pretty thin there. You know, in general, for the A team, for the for the. I mean, yeah, well, who's even starting? Right. You know, who's even first choice? Um, you know, left back. You know, there there are, and when you look at, at at those central midfield positions, it becomes far more important now. People will keep asking, "Oh, why is Legette playing?" Because Legette's going to have to play significant minutes in World Cup qualifying. Because you're going to be rotating. You've got McKenney, you've got Acosta, you've got Adams, you've got Musa, and then you that's four guys for three spots. There you need more than that to contribute in this World Cup qualifying cycle. So you you've got Legette as a as an option. Certainly, Christian Pulisic can come inside and play. Um, Maybe Christian Roldan if he continues on the trajectory he's had at Seattle this year. Yeah, you're going to want to start to identify some players. That's what the Gold Cup is going to be for as well. And I think on the wing as well, you know, Paul Ariola is going to factor in World Cup qualifying. Um, Tim Weah is going to factor into World Cup qualifying because you need that level of rotation. I think the second yeah, think- part... Sorry, Sam, just quickly. The second part is the yeah. travel, which I know you want to get into a little bit more because yeah. it's going to be more interesting than anything we've seen with World Cup qualifying. But it's, it, you know, how you pick where you play your home games is going to matter a lot more now because you're going to be going on multiple flights. It's not just one home game, one away game, at least outside of the November window. It's not one home game, one away game. So you have to be a lot more strategic in where you place these games that aren't necessarily about where the best you know, atmosphere would be for that particular opponent, but might be a little bit more towards decreasing the flight time for these players. Yeah, I think we'll get some more stadium, more games at the National Stadium in Orlando. Um, <laughs> a joke, but it seems like every U.S. national team is there. I actually think the the first home game against Canada, which is sandwiched between at El Salvador and at Honduras, I would I would kind of expect that to be in Orlando. Does that sound reasonable? I, I, I think Orlando makes a lot of sense. I think you could go to Austin. You could go to Texas. You just want those quick yeah. flights to Central America. Um, so I would pick somewhere that's southern. you know. And then you flip that. You go to later in the schedule. And when you're playing home, uh, home against El Salvador and home against Honduras with a road trip to Canada – you start to think, okay, are we going to play January 30th in Canada? You're probably going to play in Vancouver. So yeah. now those games on January 27th and February 2nd, you're probably looking at California, right? Because you want to decrease your your flight time. So, you know, that's... Maybe that's maybe California, factor. maybe maybe Providence Park, maybe Lumen Field in Portland and Seattle. I don't know. I mean, you had the beef with the turf. Do you want to put down temporary turf? Do you have time for that to happen? Definitely. I, mean, I think it would be harder have in time. Seattle. They'll have a full off. Well, maybe not Seattle. My guess would be Portland. You know, Portland would be an option. It's certainly something to talk about. But you have to look in that region. I think you have to be looking. I would. I wouldn't be surprised if you're talking about San Jose and L.A. for those those games. Yeah. Um, Although that's interesting then in terms of atmosphere. Yeah. Right. Because that you have a large Salvadoran and Honduran populations in those huge Salvadoran. I didn't realize this until yesterday. The Salvadoran population in LA is bigger than the Salvadoran population in DC, which it's enormous in DC. I grew up in that area. My mom works in the um, Hispanic community at my church. It's mostly Salvadorans. Um, the, the makeup is a lot of Salvadorans, a lot of Mexicans. You know, a few Costa Ricans represent, and obviously others from other countries. But um, LA has a massive Salvadoran population, yeah. so you have to yeah. consider that as well. And even putting that game in San Jose. So you're right. Maybe Portland factors in. Maybe Seattle factors in. But I yeah. do think you have to consider that. And hey, maybe Canada says, no, we want to play the U.S. in Toronto. 
in a blizzard. Well, I mean, they, they, I mean, they have. I can't where the Blue Jays play. I cannot remember. The well, name they could the stadium, play. They could play at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. They could play at Olympic Stadium in Montreal, and and the Blue Jays venue where Toronto has played Champions League games before um, has a roof, so they could theoretically play in there as well. I'm not sure what you would do about surface in any of those stadiums in Canada because they're all turf. Um, so that would be difficult. But yeah, I think it's safe to say they won't be playing at BMO Fields in Toronto on January 30th. Although that would be, I don't know, that would be kind of fun, Paul. Be yeah, interesting. Uh, it would not be fun. It would be cold. And I think it would be really fun. So, so yeah, weather. so you have to factor that in. I'm looking down the road, you know, again, even when you start to look at home games in October against Jamaica and Costa Rica, which yeah. will get a road trip to Panama factored in, maybe you can be a little bit looser with how you travel but that's still multiple flights you're still flying to panama and flying back for the game against costa rica and so you you're not you're probably not going to schedule home against jamaica in minnesota fly all the way down to panama and then come back all the way to i don't know dc or something like that to play costa rica you know again i think you're probably looking at Miami and Orlando for those games or Dallas and Austin or something like I think, that. I, I'm thinking Orlando for Canada. I think, I, I think Austin's a good shot for Jamaica. Um, and then maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do with the Costa Rica one. Maybe you go to LA for that. Maybe you go to, maybe you go to Kansas city. Maybe you go to Dallas. I think Nashville is another option, but yeah. you know, you, Again, I, we're focusing on a certain sector of the U.S. What I'm trying to do is say, you know, unfortunately for fans in Columbus or Minnesota, I think it gets a little bit tougher to play games there until you get, you know, you look at that November window, well, you know, home against Mexico. I was going to say, so I think like, Columbus, Columbus is going to probably get that Mexico yeah, game, it right? It kind of lands perfectly for them. And it's a two-game window. You don't have a ton of travel and you can go to the new stadium and play Mexico in Columbus and try for another Dos Acero game. Um, and then you have to, you know, one flight from Columbus to Kingston isn't as bad, right, as as having no. to go back and forth. Um, but I, I do think it gets tougher for the, the northern because then when you come into March, you're not necessarily going to be looking. You're going to Mexico and Costa Rica in that March window. You're probably With not Panama trying to between. play Panama yeah. in New York or something like that. Just no, something to think about. That'll be another southern one. Yeah. So who knows? Although at that point, you might be qualified already, right? So... Maybe that affects things, although they'll have to book these far enough out that well, it probably won't. You know, we also have to keep in mind because of COVID and other factors, you know, I think we're going to have kind of a slow drip here on where these games are going to be played. I don't think we're going to get one big schedule with, you know, all the games being released at once. I think we're going to, you know, probably be a few weeks away from hearing where the game is going to be played in September, maybe a few weeks after that where the games are being played in October. Um, so it'll, it'll be a little, I think a little tougher for fans too, to kind of plan out their travel or, or journalists who are planning out their, their work travel. Um, but you know, this, yes, please cry for us, (laughs) (laughs) but either way, you know, you're, you just, I I would throw that out there just for fans who are kind of like, you know, saw the schedule and were like, heck yeah, let's start to schedule our road trips. You know, it might not be something where you can plan out, Hey, I'm going to go to, you know, Atlanta in March for USA Panama. Like it might take you a while before you're able to um, to know exactly where you need to book those tickets for. And I think that's just part of kind of this COVID world and the way that you know the way that you have to approach planning the future. Um, you know, maybe just pump the brakes a little bit and just 
be you know so, be so don't book your flights yet or, or your what? flights to for, where for, <laughs> for games that we don't know where they're gonna be yeah uh, exactly yes this is the new normal as they say <laughs> and with that i think we'll take our first break we'll come back we'll talk about uh gold cup squad and what we think it it will look like this episode is supported by season three of fx's welcome to wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Continuing our U.S. Men's National Team discussion Moving on from, or I guess moving back in time from World Cup qualifying in the fall to something a little bit more close around the horizon, and that is the CONCACAF Gold Cup. The USMNT obviously just finished CONCACAF Nations League victoriously, um, and the next competition on the docket is the Gold Cup. It will not be the A-team like Nations League was. won't be like that for Mexico either, for that matter, um, but it is going to be an interesting tournament to get a look at a bunch of guys who are maybe on the cusp of that A-team and guys who will inevitably be involved in World Cup qualifying in some way, shape, or form. So we're going to break down kind of what we're thinking in terms of the roster and what we think might happen. We'll go position by position, uh, goalkeeper, defense, midfield, forward. Those are the positions in soccer. You probably knew that already, though. Um, and so, yeah, let's start, let's start in the back. We'll start in net. Uh, Zach Steffen, he ain't going to be around. Um, he's going to be, you know, gearing up for his man city season. Uh, Matt Turner, I think will be. And then where do you see the other two coming from here, Paul? Um, yeah, I agree with you on Matt Turner. I think for sure he'll be there. Look, let's be honest here. The goalkeeper position for the U S is as thin as it's ever been. I think ever, you know, and, and so there are real question marks when you get beyond, the two European-based goalkeepers, and then Matt Turner. Um, they can go in either direction here. I think you could go for a veteran guy who you you know is a good locker room guy, um, or you can go and bring in some younger prospects and, and give them a chance to be around international soccer at a high level. I think we'll probably see a guy like Sean Johnson. He's been in this role before where you know they trust him, they like him, they think he's a really important presence in the locker room. Um, you know, he has experience working with the national team. He has experience working with Aaron Hyde, the goalkeeper coach of the national team. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sean Johnson. I would be surprised to see, um, you know, somebody like a Brad Guzan. I think he's probably, you know, done on the international stage, but maybe we get a guy like a Bill Hamid from DC United. And I could also see, you know, Chitiro Dunze, um, who's over in at Leicester City. He's been involved in the European base camps. You know, he could be a young guy, just like Ochoa was called in for the Nations League. Maybe they rotate in another another young goalkeeper like Adunze to be um, to be there uh, as the third keeper and get that experience, get those reps. Um, but I, I would be surprised if it wasn't another veteran behind Matt Turner because if there is an injury, 
you probably want someone you trust to step in goal in the tournament. Right. And this is going to be an interesting position, and you kind of always go through this battle in the Gold Cup, is because you're taking, in some cases, two MLS starters to go not play in the tournament. And MLS teams, shockingly, don't love that. <laughs> um, so there might be some fights on the club level. Like, I think about Ochoa, right? Who was just with the U.S. for Nations League, so you got him in camp, right? If you called him, he wouldn't be the starter, right? I think that's Turner right now. And so if you call him, is RSL thrilled about that? Or do they say, hey, you took him for Nations League. Can we keep him for a Gold Cup? Yeah, you know, you took him for... Yes. And, and so maybe you see something. I, I, another one, I'm interested in Horvath. He's, his club situation, I don't know exactly what it's going to be later in the summer. He's with Bruges, but he's been the backup there. So maybe this is a situation where you can get Horvath some games and put him in the window and potentially help facilitate a move to a club where he can be a starter. So I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him either. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to have a lot of names that come up in this chat here, Sam, where if there's a guy who has any sort of transfer transfer speculation around them, you put a question mm-hmm. mark next to his name. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, probably desire to have him in camp, but oftentimes the national team will allow a player to get settled if he's been transferred to a new team, to be there for the start of preseason, or if they're in a really tough spot club-wise, to let them kind of be, to handle and figure out where they're going to be living next and trying to play next and get that stuff sorted. And so, you know, this is the first example of that. Horvath, would they like to have him? Absolutely. Would he be a great starter for them? Sure. Big question mark next to his name because he's going to of move. Course. He's out of contract. So, um, and, and, and you know, he's got options. Um, but, you know, if it's not settled or maybe if it is, if he get, goes to a new team and he's got a chance to be the starter, I would expect that Burhalter will allow him to to not be a part of the Gold Cup roster so that he can be there from day one of preseason to try to win that number one job because they want him playing yep. in Europe for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Moving past the goalkeepers into defense. I think we can start with left back. Sam Vines, the number one for this tournament. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily a clear number one for the Gold Cup at left back, just like there's not a clear number one for the left back in Nations League or World Cup qualifiers. I don't think there's any competition in which there is a clear cut left back for the U.S. men's national team. But this is just just the story for all time for the U.S. national team. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But it, out of this next group, I think you and I both agree that Sam Vines makes the most sense as the starting left back going into the tournament. There, there is a group of you know younger left backs. Uh, players who haven't we haven't seen on the international level before, um, certainly not on the senior national team before, who could, you know, take this job from Sam Vines. So maybe we see a guy like George Bellow. I'll, I'll throw a couple names out at you that probably haven't been discussed in this position before, but we've seen Greg Berhalter in, in a press conference before talk about DC United's homegrowns. Could a guy like Kevin Paredes at DC United, could he be somebody that gets brought in as a, you know, if the U.S. is going to play that five-man back line, three in the three center backs and wing backs, could he fit as a left wing back? Another name that's intriguing to me that I've been doing a little bit of research on um, was recently called up to Mexico's national team, Jonathan Gomez at Louisville City. You know, I, this is a cup, been, a, a cap tying tournament. So you've been doing some research. You've been well, doing you've been doing some work, huh? I, I think that it would be worth going to Louisville to do a story on a kid who's getting called in by Mexico and he's playing in Louisville. Um, 
You just want to go so you can do the bourbon trail or whatever. I've been on the bourbon trail. It's wonderful. Would I go again? Absolutely. (laughs) You know, I would, I wouldn't mind it. And if one of the stops on the bourbon tour is Louisville city and, and sitting down with a young prospect, but he, he's a left back, you know, he's a left back. That's a position of need for the U S he's getting called in by your rival. Do you take a look? You you might want to, I mean, it, it does complicate things that an appearance in the gold cup would cap tie you. So, you know, maybe that's not realistic for this camp, but I don't know. I mean, he's a left back. We just That'd talked about the left back problem. So maybe it's time to take a look. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I don't know anything about that kid. Um, a USL call up would be, it would be cool. It would be interesting. It would be weird. It'd be wild. It'd be different. It'd be out of left field. Um, but I, I don't know. I want to learn more. So maybe maybe you go on the bourbon trail. I, you got to make a promise to me though. If you go down to Louisville and do this story, and you do make it a stop on the bourbon trail, I want I want it to be like mid bourbon trail. You go interview the guy, okay? Just yeah, see where that goes. That's what I'm saying. See, I'll expense the limo because you can't drive on the bourbon trail. You got to take a, a limo, black car, well, not a black just car. not just an Uber, just a limo. Just get a party bus, Paul. Just really go for it. Hey, why don't you know what? This is what we should do. We should do like an athletic soccer retreat on the on the Bourbon Trail, and <laughs> you know, stop halfway through for a game at Louisville City and an interview with Jonathan Gomez. I like where your head's at. <laughs> Great with this idea, one, Sam. Let's, let's talk to our editors. All right, Sam. We got we got the left back side <laughs> settled here. Let's before we go to center back, let's go to right back. Let's do the fullbacks first, Sam. Who do you who do you think oh, is going to be at the right back spot for the U.S. in the Gold Cup? Uh, well, you talked about the transfer stuff, right? Reggie Cannon could be here. I could see that happening. Um, but it's all about his club situation. Boa Vista is going through financial difficulties. They weren't very good in the Portuguese league last year. They're battling to try and avoid relegation, which they did successfully. Um, you know, I, I would say that I would expect that Cannon would be looking for a move this summer. So if he gets that settled before the Gold Cup, then he probably won't be here. But if he doesn't, and he wants to put in some good performances for a national team, or maybe get some more caps to potentially enhance his work permit status in different countries, um, then maybe he will be there, right? So so that's the one that stands out. And then the other two are two guys that were with the U.S. for Olympic qualifying, the, the failure down there. Um, but two guys that I think did fine uh, in Guadalajara for the, the U23s, in Aaron Herrera, who can play on the left if needed. And Julian Araujo, who can play as a winger if needed. Um, so two MLS guys from RSL and from LA. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking of right back. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's a good point about Reggie Cannon. You know, caps for a guy who needs to make a move, um, getting those caps in these competitions can, you know, might matter and it might influence whether a guy like Reggie Cannon says, "Yeah, I want to play this summer. I want to get those caps. I want to keep my transfer value as high as it can possibly." possibly be reg reggie cannon by the way does not strike me as the guy who's like no nah, i need some rest and relaxation yeah, like like totally. that guy has some intensity he's got some fire in his eyes he's like yes i want to play like always so i wouldn't be surprised to see him there depending club situation for sure and and i would i, I also want to clarify there are a lot of european-based players who are going to be given the summer off who are not going to be a part of this gold cup roster i think mls guys who were part of the nation's league roster obviously do not fall under that categorization because if they don't go to the gold cup they're going to be playing in major league soccer so you're not really adding too many games to their docket here so that's why i think you'll see some mls based guys who you saw in nations league will also be at the gold cup just as a kind of 
explainer for why you'll you'll hear some familiar names. And here's one of them. He wasn't a part of the Nations League, but he did get called up for the Costa Rica friendly when Matt Miazga left to go get married. At center back, I think the two guys we're most confident about on the roster, Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. Those are your two starters, I think, in the Gold Cup at center back if you're Greg Berhalter. Do you disagree? Uh, No. I mean, I think we'll see some rotation for sure, but I think that'll probably be the first choice pairing. Miles Robinson is a guy that would have gone to the U23s had Atlanta released him. Um, <laughs> they did not. Um, so I'm sure they'll have, you know, they'll probably have something to say as well about a Gold's Cup call up, but I think, uh, I think they got to let him go for that. Um, and I think he's one that would be in the mix for the A team at this point. Um, had he kind of been allowed to participate earlier. So yeah, I think those are, those are the two. And then after that, man, I have no idea after yeah, that. I think this exercise, Sam has really demonstrated to me that actually one of the thinner positions and, and, and we saw it play out in nation's league. One of the thinner positions for the U S right now is center back because of the injury, just one injury to, um, to Aaron long really started a domino effect of, okay, where's the depth? And then what happens? The first backup for Aaron Long, also injured at the time, Chris Richards with a thigh injury, not nearly as serious as Aaron Long's Achilles injury. But now your top two right center backs are out. And so you start going further and further down the depth chart. I think after watching Tim Ream in the Nations League, I, I know Greg Berhalter likes him. I don't think he can play anymore with the first team. Maybe you can bring him into World Cup qualifiers against certain sides just to have I think he can play in CONCACAF. But... You know, I think planning for the World Cup and trying to get some guys some important minutes, you know, do you want to be calling Tim Riemann? But you don't really have a ton of options, to your point. You know, you get, you've got, you know, John Brooks and Chris Richards are probably, in my eyes, the top two. Then you have Mark McKenzie, who really struggled, obviously, against Mexico, but I thought had a, a very strong response mentally in the second half. Um, and then Miazga, who didn't play in the Nations League, and Tim Ream. And Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman. And beyond that, I mean, I know I just went through seven center backs. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a lot of names. But, but <laughs> I think you're, you're, once you get past Brooks and Richards and really kind of in that McKenzie range. Yeah, you don't feel great about it. You don't it. feel great about it. And so for me, with Gold Cup, I'm looking at some guys that I haven't seen in a while. I'm going to Europe and I'm calling up Eric Palmer Brown. I'm calling in Cameron Carter Vickers. Two guys who you know are kind of grinding overseas. Cameron Carter Vickers, I've, I've I've talked to a couple of people about him. I haven't seen him play that much. I haven't watched the championship beyond you know some Daryl DK games last year. I I was told he had actually a very very strong season for Bournemouth. He is attracting some Premier League attention. Reports are out there that Newcastle <laughs> is interested. He obviously is a player owned by Tottenham. He's not owned by Bournemouth. Bournemouth is interested in purchasing him. Um, they, Tottenham has put a pretty hefty price tag on him, according to the reports of 10 million pounds, which I think is, is pretty significant. Um, it but, ain't nothing. you know, again, I think those are two examples of guys who we haven't seen in the group for a while that maybe they can add something to the, to the first team, uh, when we get back to normal competition beyond those two guys, I, I think it's, uh, it's a crapshoot, man. I, I don't know where you go in major league soccer to find center backs i mean there aren't a ton of them there were a few that got called in with the u23s justin glad henry kessler mauricio pineda i mean i feel like didn't donovan pines get a call up in january i feel like that was purely for olympic look and he didn't make that team um maybe one of those guys gets called in 
Um, this guy, who I'm about to mention, hasn't received a ton of calls, uh, but he can play center back and he can play defensive midfield. And that's New York City FC's James Sands, who I think is pretty underrated, actually. Uh, he's a guy that isn't the sexiest player. He's not the most exciting player. He's very workmanlike, but he very rarely puts foot wrong in MLS. And he's just been really solid. So I'm curious to see if he gets a look either at center back or at defensive midfield, which he's, he's got plenty of experience as a pro at both positions at this point. So I'm curious there, but yeah, I mean, I think the the main two are Robinson and Zimmerman. And, you know, I think everything beyond that is kind of ones for the future potentially, but probably, probably long shots to make an impact at least for 2022. All right, let's move up into midfield, Sam. I'm gonna. We're not gonna move too far up, but here's another position that I think there are big question marks behind the starter and a, and a big drop off. You know, you have Tyler Adams at the number six. Everyone behind him to me is a question mark. I thought Kellen Acosta filled in admirably in the Mexico game, playing as a six. That's not his natural position. He's more of an eight. Um, but I thought Jackson Ewell really, really, really struggled against Honduras. I thought he was hiding. In the game, he was playing backwards far too much. He just looked overwhelmed in the moment, and and that's concerning because there isn't, you know, there isn't a clear uh, depth chart behind Tyler Adams. So this is an important one, Sam. Who do you who do you have at the six? I would like to see Eric Williamson. Again, he's not like a pure six necessarily for Portland. That's Diego Chara, um, but he does a lot of defensive work. He's a really smooth player. We know he's motivated and a little upset at being passed over for the Olympic qualifying team, which I think a lot of us, I think we questioned it at the time. I know we did. And in hindsight, it it looks really bad, like really, really bad considering everything that happened down there in Mexico and everything that Williamson has done for Portland this season. He's been quite good for them. Um, so yeah, I want to see him. Honestly, Paul, you mentioned you will really struggle. I don't, I don't get it with him. I don't get it. He's not a bad player. He's a fine player. Pretty good in MLS. Uh, to me, I don't see the ceiling being very high for him on the international level. Um, and I don't really think the characteristics fit in terms of what Burhalter needs to get out of that position in the system he plays. So, I mean, I don't know. I think he'll be called up for this tournament and I think he can contribute to a positive performance at this gold cup. I'm not writing him off or anything like that. And, you know, maybe he can be a depth piece for the A team going forward, but I, I want to see other people get a chance. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, Leon Flock at uh, Philadelphia is a, is a guy who I think is, is trying to work his way into the picture for the U.S. national yeah. team. It, I'm uh, I'm curious. He, so he is, I, I know all of these things because I just filed a story, which we teased last week, I think, on the show, but that'll be out by the time this podcast drops. He's like top three in MLS in like every defensive metric for midfielders. The dude runs a ton. He covers a ton of ground. He's a smart player. He's really, really active defensively. He's pretty good at carrying the ball. He's been good for Philadelphia, kind of out of nowhere. And, you know, you talk about, like, style, right? He's much more in the Adams mold in terms of how he plays than the Yule mold, right? And so there's not, you know, Adams, I'm not saying Leon Flux, Tyler Adams, he's not, (laughs) but... He's more in that. He's more more similar to him stylistically than I think any other midfielder that we're talking about uh, at the number six. So I don't know. I'd be kind of I'd be interested, but we'll see. I, I have no idea if he'll make this roster or not. I would be a little surprised if he did, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and there's also the sixes that we saw uh, many of them 
by the way. We saw many of them in the Olympic roster that, you know, maybe they're in consideration to, you know, maybe you see a guy like Johnny Cardoso down in Brazil, uh, Andres Perea with Orlando City. Does he, you know, I, I don't know that he really, I'm any in. of them, I don't think any of them impressed at all. Um, Perea so, doesn't start for Orlando. Owen Otisoe, does, does he does he get a call up? Um, I, I don't know. I, I would expect that there's more of an MLS tilt at this position than going to any of those guys that already got they got a good look on good look at in Olympic qualifying I wouldn't be surprised to see names where we didn't see them in the qualification especially considering what happened in Guadalajara yeah with this position in particular right right yeah let's move a little further up the field Sam central midfield I think we'll see two familiar names here you know again I mentioned if you're an MLS guy you were in Nations League you don't need to worry about you know, playing too many games or needing a vacation because you're in season anyway. So I, I would expect to see Kellen Acosta and Sebastian Legett both on this roster. You know, in my mind, I think Legette's probably the guy wearing the captain's armband for this tournament. Um, <laughs> just as an experienced guy who, who Greg trusts, who's part of the first team. So those two names, I think for sure, I'm going to throw out another name that I think will be involved. We saw him called into the beginning of Nations League camp. That's Julian Green. Um, who, who played quite well in the second Bundesliga, Interesting. helped lead his team to promotion to the Bundesliga. I think we could see Julian Green at this Gold Cup. The return. Sam, Man. you almost bought a Julian Green jersey recently, actually. I mean, that's a little strong. I saw a Julian Green jersey <laughs> at a store. <laughs> um, did I almost buy it? No, I did not almost buy it. It was like $50, and I, yeah, I don't need that in my life. Anyway, uh Christian Roldan, I'm surprised you didn't mention him. I've mentioned him already. I feel like I'm higher on him than a lot of people are. He's been really good in MLS this year. He's been really good for the Sounders. And is he the cleanest player? Does he deliver the final ball all the time? No. But if you put him at one of those number eight spots next to a guy like Legette, who can do a little bit more of that attacking work, and you let Roldan kind of be the McKenney type of guy, where he's a little bit freer and he's pressing high and he's harassing the other team when they're on the ball and he's connecting and he's making late runs into the box into dangerous areas and he's popping up all over the place. I think that could work pretty well. I would like to see him get a chance. I think he's another guy that's been pretty motivated by being left out of the A-team groups recently, um, much like Williamson uh, on a different sort of level. So I'm curious if we see him. Um, a couple others, young younger guys, Busio who's been playing at the six for Kansas city. Um, but I don't know if they see him, if Burhalter sees him there or if he sees him higher up. Um, but John Luca Busio, who's had a good season in MLS, Caden Clark with the Red Bulls, potentially maybe Cole Bassett, maybe Paxton Pomacall, if he can stay healthy or get healthy. Um, you know, I'm curious Efra Alvarez, right? Maybe that's one that's more of a winger, but you know, and he seems pretty locked in on Mexico at this point, but maybe that's one. Um, so yeah, those, those are a few of the other names. I, I'm really intrigued by this group of players though, because I think you have some promising young talents who we haven't really seen with the full national team yet that I think we will see in this group. And I think we'll have a chance to kind of earn bigger roles with the senior squad just in by virtue of, of performances in the gold cup. Yeah. I think one name you brought up that's really, really interesting to me out of that group is Caden Clark. And the reason why I think Caden Clark is still very raw and still very young. But one thing he does really well is score goals. 
he tries stuff. He <laughs> that's gets a good. Th- that's a good thing to do really well. <laughs> yeah, man. And and when I look at this U.S. team, that's an area where they need more production, right? We don't know who the number nine is going to be, and so we see goals happening from outside of that number nine spot. Not, I mean, not every game. Obviously, it was Jordan Sabachu Pifok who who scored against Honduras. Um, you know, Daryl DK scored some goals. Scored a goal against Costa Rica. Um, but I, I think that he's interesting to me because he has a really good knack for getting into the box, getting in a dangerous place, and and scoring at a and finishing a well efficient rate. and cre- yeah, he's a good creatively, finisher. yeah, yeah. So not from I, the most straightforward like chances. That. I would like to see that at national team level, and I do think the Red Bulls yeah. see him as more of a number ten. So I I do think he would be in this group. I don't think he's a winger for the U.S. Um, but. You know that that's one name that you mentioned that I'm that I'm very interested by. I don't think Efra is going to play in a cap tying competition for the U.S. right now. Um, maybe yeah. for Mexico. Do you think there's any chance we see a guy like Frankie Amaya? Just thought of him with that Red Bull discussion. Probably not, but maybe on the prelim roster. That wouldn't yeah, shock. I me. mean, I think the prelim roster is 60 names. I mean, I think all of these <laughs> names that we're saying are going to be on the prelim roster because it's so enormous. Um, 60. Yeah. That seems excessive. excessive. Why do you need to go that deep? Got to give some people some love, man. All right. I mean, I guess. That's a lot of phone calls and emails to send. I don't know. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> um, Let's we'll, move we'll forward, We'll let you do though. the breakdown on the preliminary roster when man. it comes out. Oh, thank you. Um, that's my dream. It's <laughs> <laughs> my dream. Um all right, let's go. Let's get into the attack fully here. Let's talk wingers. Let's talk strikers. Another kind of weird situation. Is, is there any position? Let, let's start with wingers, Paul. And I'm just going to throw this to you because I don't know where this is going. Who's maybe getting called from Europe? I think we'll see Paul Ariola. I'm pretty confident about that. Um, another youngster, maybe, with Cade Cowell from San Jose, the 17 year old who, who looks older than me, to be frank. Um, but. Yeah, so what what do you see with the winger spot? Because it's a deep position for the A-team, but I don't think we're going to see really any of those guys here in the Gold Cup. Yeah, I don't think we'll see any of the... Obviously, we're not going to see Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna. They're just not going to be there. Um, I would be surprised to see other wingers that were part of the... that were European-based. I mean, guys who are on the next level, Conrad de la Fuente right now being connected with a transfer or a loan to Marseille. So mm-hmm. he's another guy who falls into a category of he would be here if his club situation was more settled, but he's going to a new club. You're probably not going to have him miss the start of preseason with this opportunity to get some first team minutes. So you go down to the next tier of European based guys. I do think you, you look here to guys who were just on the fringe of the nation's league. Maybe a guy who got called into camp, uh, for the Switzerland game, Matthew Hoppy. You know, he can play as a number nine. He can play as a winger. Um, you know, Greg Berhalter did call him in and take a look at him. He's at Schalke. He scored goals in the Bundesliga. Maybe we'll get a chance to to play in the second Bundesliga for Schalke regularly. Maybe he gets sold. Um, but he's, a, I think, a candidate. Um, Nico Giacchini, um, playing in the second division of France, has been a big part of the national team under Berhalter. I say big part. He's been involved in multiple camps. So I could see him get involved in this camp as well. Tyler Boyd was in the Gold Cup in 2019, has kind of fallen out of favor Scored some goals in Turkey this season. I could see him getting called back in. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Paul Ariola for me, is the one guy I am going to say no doubt is on that Gold Cup roster. Um, Kate Cowell's an interesting one for me as well. Very vertical player, but I think you know the U.S. is kind of looking for some players like that right now that, that can be a little bit different than than what we see from 
the starters on the wing. Um, yeah, capable of playing striker as well, Cal. Um, which you know, versatility in a tournament roster is always a valuable, valuable commodity. So that that doesn't hurt anyone's case. Speaking of strikers, um, this one to me is the most dependent on transfer. And if Daryl DK is sold before the Gold Cup, there he won't be here. If he is not, I think he probably will. Um, and then right behind him, I think you have Giassi's artists, and I think those are your top two. If DK is not there, maybe a guy like Jeremy Abobasi gets in the mix. Um, although, you know, he's had chances with the national team in the past, and they don't seem to have loved him, considering he didn't make the squad for Olympic qualifying either. Maybe Rubio Rubin. You know, he was flirting with Guatemala. Uh, he went down and checked them out. Um, but maybe he gets a call up. Who knows? I don't know. So. Uh, that to me is kind of what I'm looking at here. And I think it's just really dependent on DK's transfer. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, obviously Daryl DK for me coming out of nation's league, I personally believe Daryl DK is the best striker in the U S men's national team pool. I think he should be starting in the world cup qualifiers. Every game in which he's played, it's hard to judge because that Costa Rica game was so bad. The pace was so much slower. The energy (laughs) level was so much lower. But yeah. I, I just think that every game he's played, he's looked the most dangerous. He's looked the most dangerous in the run of play. And, you know, he can he can make those runs in behind the back line. He's dangerous in the air. Um, he can hold up the ball as well. You saw that the U.S. changed its strategy um, against Costa Rica where they were playing long goal kicks to Daryl DK. I think that would be helpful in CONCACAF qualifying. Josh Sargent hasn't done enough for me to, to show that he deserves to be the starter. Um, I thought uh, PFOC against Mexico in the second half disappeared. You know, when he came in as a substitute, I just don't think he brought enough in that position. So uh, for me, Daryl DK is the best striker in the pool right now. Um, it's hard to argue with that, but that, that could change in a matter of two weeks. That's the nature of this position for the U.S. right now. It is so wide open, and I don't really care who does this, but I just hope someone goes and grabs this thing and makes it their own. Because right now, no one's doing it. And DK is making the best case, and I think he's looked the best. Um, but he also hasn't really done this against real competition with the national team yet. So we haven't seen that. Hopefully, hopefully we eventually do. Um, but yeah, that position is going to be wide open. Okay, so we spent a lot of time on this roster. Paul, I do have one last question for you. Who is like the under the radar or like the young guy that like might have a chance of getting called up, but maybe won't, um, that you want to see the most on this roster? putting you on the spot Ooh, here that's a good question I, you know i think it's i think it's a guy i talked about earlier i think it's i think it's Caden clark i'm i'm really intrigued by his skill set because he is there's so little that we've seen from him at the first team level he really hasn't played that much but he he makes an impact so often when he plays for the red bulls he scores goals he creates dangerous opportunities i just he has that you know, I, I'm kind of rubbing my fingers together like the, like a the European. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah, you know, like he he's got that little bit of something extra, and I I think that that it would tra- I think it would translate well to the national team level. I I just I feel like he would work well in a tournament play. I think I feel like he he feels the moment, and and yeah. so he's the guy I think I want to see most in this roster. I I, th- I think I agree with that that he's a guy that would kind of ri- raise his level to the level around him basically. Um, I could see that with him. Uh, I would definitely be intrigued by that. I'm sort of tied between him and, and the other Cade slash Caden and Cade Cowell. 
I would be interested to see him as well. So we won't spend any more time on the Gold Cup roster. We'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll do a little brief segment on expectations for the MLS secondary transfer window, which will it's coming. It's bearing down our throats here. It's coming before you know it. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that and then we'll get out of here. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we are back, and it's Paul Tenorio bringing us back from break this time. Yes. Sam, don't ever say that I don't carry do that piano here. I do so much <laughs> around here, way more than you do. Than you, you appreciate. You appreciate, Paul. Many people say. Um, all right, Sam. <laughs> Name names. We are. <laughs> we, we are approaching the secondary transfer window, and you know this is a fun time of year for us. Sometimes I don't know. Um, also, can be a busy time <laughs> of year for us. Sometimes. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not as fine, often I guess. as possible with Major League Soccer. Sometimes <laughs> Whatever. It's just like, eh, it didn't, you know, didn't live up to any of the expectations we talked about. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, all right, Sam. Secondary window open. Five teams you're keeping an eye on. Five teams. Got? LAFC. Brian Rodriguez. Does he does he get moved for the second half of the season? Does he get sold? Do they have an open DP spot? If so, what do they do with it? Um, so that's maybe the biggest one nycfc they still they're still hanging on to that open dp spot they're making noise about potentially using it um so that's one i'm keeping an eye on for sure as well nashville super interesting in my opinion jonder cadiz one of their two dps technically his loan expires at the end of this month they have been linked with ake loba from monterey so we'll see what goes what happens there but it looks like they're getting ready to spend some cash in a way that they haven't before um how many is that is that three um, Austin will be my fourth. Uh, they are, you know, similar to Nashville, like in the market for a DP. Um, and I, I don't know. I think they could, they could certainly use a striker. I don't think there's any hiding that fact. You know, we talked about that every time we've spoken about Austin. So do they go out and get one? And then team five. Hmm. I sort of have three, which is cheating, but I'm going to do a tie for fifth with three teams. Toronto, simply because of Josie Altidore and what goes on there, that could be resolved well before or well after the secondary transfer window. So it's not really a transfer window thing. Miami, does Pizarro get sold? Does Iguain start smoking cigarettes on the field? Who knows? <laughs> we'll find out. That was an incredible quote, by the way. Gonzalo Iguain, he... He, Best quote of the year. Uh, Best quote I'm paraphrasing year. here, but he said, yeah, I came to MLS. I thought I would be able to smoke cigarettes on the field, but it's actually kind of hard. And, you know, props to you, Gonzalo. <laughs> props for the honesty. And then the other one's Cincinnati. Locadia. What happens with him? I would be surprised if he came back. Uh, his loan is up at the end of the month as well. But Cincinnati has surprised me before, Paul. 
So, <laughs> you know, nothing's off the table with those guys, right? So, yeah, that's, that's more than five. But I give you a lot to work with. What do you think? Yeah. Well, look, I think one thing that intrigues me about that huge eight team list that you gave me when I asked for your five three teams were tied for fifth is that there are multiple teams that I seven, think are going to be shopping teams <laughs> multiple. I think there are multiple teams going to be marking going to be shopping in the same market. And that is in Mexico. Um, I, and I think it's smart. You know, I, I really think that the, the forwards, the attacking players that thrive in Liga Mekis are players who are typically going to thrive in major league soccer. I think there's a profile of, of good track attacking player, that does well there that would also do well here. And so I'm really interested in, do you go after a guy like a Nico Castillo at Club America, you know, who who you maybe get at a discount, right. Uh, Coming off of an injury and, but you know, showed a ton of potential. Do you go and try to pay for Henry Martinez? Martinez? We know that there were discussions before there. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of good players in Mexico that I think are available for the right price. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of teams that have been linked to players in Mexico. Uh, Nashville, Austin have both been linked there. So, and Miami, I think, could be linked there as well. Um, you think they go back there? <laughs> it's really, really interesting to me. They would have to move Pizarro first. Yeah. I mean, look, if they sell Pizarro in Mexico... You know, maybe those conversations of selling a player to a team in Mexico open some conversations about players to buy in Mexico. Maybe um, I'm interested in Miami because they have, they're definitely going to have to do a lot of work, I think, in the trade market. You know, what's interesting is, and I don't think that they'll think this way, but when you look at the punishments that they were handed down by Major League Soccer, specifically... We weren't supposed to talk about Miami this show. We failed. Sorry. Sorry. Specifically the $2.7 million... You actually could get more value, and not for the owners, right, getting reimbursed on the money that they've spent for Pizarro in the transfer market, but for actually building your roster, if you're worried about having a winning team, yeah, you, you'd be better off trying to shop Pizarro to you know San Jose or something like that and getting a million dollars in allocation money to help rebuild your, your um, bank account. Um, and and have roster your gam bank account, you know, I, yeah, your gam account. And I think I, I think you probably, I, I think you've got to be shopping some guys in the trade market if you're Miami because you do need to build up that gam. So you know, again, we mentioned this last week, but I think you're shopping a guy like LGP or Figal, um, not both, but one of the two. I think you're, you know, you're listening to offers for Lewis Morgan here. I think you're listening to everything. You to you're listening to everything money. if you're Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So that that to me is the most interesting team. The Josie stuff is is obviously quite interesting because if they do find a conclusion a solution with Josie where he's no longer on the roster and they have an open DP spot, that's going to be very difficult to do, but if they do find that, I'm really that opens up huge possibilities for them because it also opens up multiple young money slots depending on what they do. You know, then yeah. then they become well, right off the bat, if he's gone and that's an open spot, right. then you only have two DPs and you, you've opened up multiple. Now you've, now you've got a lot of room to work same, with. Same so with Miami and Pizarro, that, by the way. Yeah. So you're talking about two of the highest spending teams in the league that suddenly would have multiple high money spots available. That that's a that shifts the landscape potentially in the summer window. So those that's why those two teams are the most intriguing. One thing, I was talking to a GM earlier today. One thing that was mentioned on that phone call was scouting is still really hard. There's no in-person scouting still, 
right? And particularly with those U22 signings, those are that's primarily been a South American market. You're not going to be able to scout in South America probably for the rest of the year, at least, you know, just considering everything that's still going on down there with COVID. Um, so I think that lends further credence to the League MX stuff that you were mentioning, Paul, because that league, obviously there's a close relationship there with MLS, um, but you kind of know how the guys translate a little bit better than you do coming from League MX to MLS than you do with basically any other league in the world. Um, and so I think that's an important consideration and something that people should remember is scouting has been affected. People are not going to see games in person for the most part. Um, and I think that will continue. Although, you know, I say that some teams have gone down. Um, I think Merritt Paulson was, was tweeting about how Gavin Wilkinson did a trip to South America not that long ago. So, um, you know, some teams are doing it, but I don't think all will. Uh, so I think that will affect this window and probably future windows too. Super interesting. I, I hope it's a really active summer window. It, it's, it's usually exciting. not. This is it's usually, usually the not. slow window in MLS, but I think this year will be a little bit different because the, the first window was slower because of everything with COVID and finances and CBA and all of that stuff. So I think we'll see a little bit more action than usual this time around. And at the end of the day, you don't know how long the, this market's going to be depressed, right? So if you're going to try to get in on players at lower prices, you might need to pull the trigger now. And LAFC is another example. If they can sell some of these players, if, if Rodriguez is gone and Rossi gets sold, now you're talking about another team with multiple big, you know, with a high spending team with multiple big money slots available. I, I you know, if, if we got to a point where LAFC, Toronto and Miami are all shopping for multiple big money players, young money yeah. or DPs, man, that, a lot of know, cash. that could be really interesting. A lot really of cash. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Um, hopefully you found this episode really interesting to quote my man Paul Tenorio Um, but thanks for listening I'm Sam he's Paul this has been Allocation Disorder until next time 